Sit up there. All right. Better? Hey, all right. If you, uh, well, you can hear, there you go. If you brought your Bibles to the Bible study, turn them to Matthew chapter 18. We'll be picking up at verse 21. Um, as we've been going through, we've been incorporating, uh, also with Matthew, we've been incorporating Mark and incorporating Luke. And when you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke together, it's what's known as the Synoptic Gospels, which means seen together. Um, so we, we've incorporated that when we can. Um, also, as we've been going through Matthew, I've entitled this whole series, Be Disciples. Because it's one thing I have noticed while studying the Gospels is what Jesus did. He, he came down and he saved us. You know, he died on the cross and he, he rose from the dead and had paid for our sins. But I also noticed while he was here, you know, he, he discipled these 12 men. And he would, uh, you know, he, he would do it for anything, whether it was healing or he was giving a parable, he would always turn around and he would explain what he was doing. And, and I can imagine, not, you know, just, just the stuff that we've read on the accounts of Jesus, but also those intimate moments that, that, these, that these apostles um, had with the Lord, you know, sitting around a campfire with him, or, you know, getting in, getting in dumb, dumb arguments about the best place to eat in Israel, or, you know, or whatever. I can, you know how guys are, and I, I can't imagine how close that closeness, but I can imagine that closeness because we have that as a relation, as we have a relationship with the Lord. Um, I've, I don't know if I was going to show it, but I've titled, I've, sometimes I title these for some reason, sometimes I don't, but I've titled this one, Forgive My Marriage, as we uh, talk about forgiveness, and then we go into um, marriage uh, in chapter 19. We'll be going into it a little bit. It seems kind of appropriate that forgiveness goes right before marriage. But uh, let's just get into it. Matthew chapter 18, picking up at verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how, oft, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do, not say to you, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with the servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master condemned him that he be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and the payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So the fellow's servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry, and he delivered him to the torturers until he should, and until he should pay what was due to him. So my heavenly Father will also do to you, if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Kind of a, I don't know, what, sometimes I think forgiveness is easier said than done when you, when you, when you do it. I think it's, Way easier to say it. Yeah, I forgive you. But the, the, the matter of it is, is the heart and, and what it's coming from. And, and did you truly forgive somebody? And as we're, as we're disciples of the Lord Jesus and, and we have the Holy Spirit, I think we still realize that we war with our flesh. And that we, we, roll, uh, we war with these emotions that we carry on into our Christian lives. Um, you know, because people people can be terrible. You know, you, you, pain, pain is real, and, you know, we can be hurt by people. But Jesus being the example of forgiveness shows that we ought to be forgiving as, as born-again believers. We, we see Peter in the beginning here. He, he's, 
He comes up to the Lord and says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And the, the, popular, the popular teacher thing here is to look at Peter and it looks like Peter's trying to brag. And maybe that's what Peter's trying to do. Hey, you know, look, Lord, I've <laughs> up to seven times. You know, maybe that's what, maybe what it is. But it seems to me with Peter is maybe he's starting to get it a little bit. You know, because the, the rabbis there and the Jewish rabbis at the time, the Pharisees, they would have taught only three times and then that's enough. So, you know, you need to stop with this person, get rid of him, you know. And so, so maybe there's some boasting in Peter, maybe saying up to seven, right? You know, or maybe, maybe also Peter's, there's a change going on. And I like to look at it that way. I like, to, I like to see that Peter, maybe he's boasting, but maybe also he's starting to get it. Okay, I need to, I need to keep forgiving. Is it seven? You know, and what I like about that is, is the, uh, the discipleship that's going on in Simon Peter's life. There's a big change happening. You know, Satan has asked um, God to, to be able to sift Peter like wheat, but Jesus says, I have prayed for you. And I think it's a contrast to where Peter has, has got his theology. You see the Pharisees, they would, they would have taught in the um, religious leaders, you know, you, you shouldn't forgive, keep on forgiving. It probably was taught as foolishness to keep on forgiving someone that, that keeps on hurting you. You're, you're the fool, you keep putting up with it, you know, and maybe we do have common sense as, as a Christian, but you know, if, if someone continues to, to hurt you and take advantage of you, you maybe, you know, forgive them and maybe not constantly be around these people, but, you know, and who's, who's doing that to you. But, but the, the point here is, is that we're representing um, the Lord Jesus. And the, and the parable here, it shows something, not just to forgive, but that we have a huge need to be forgiven and we need to forgive others. Notice that we'll be getting into marriage tonight, and it seems very appropriate that forgiveness is, is in front of marriage. So keep in mind here, God to you and you to others. God has forgiven you a great debt. In our, uh, in our small group at, in Joshua Springs out in Yucca Valley, we were talking about giving because that's just where we're at in 2 Corinthians. And, you know, to, it, could be, it could be kind of, a, um, I don't know, I know a lot of pastors that will not, they're not thrilled about giving because it's kind of like, okay, the pastor's talking about giving. <laughs> Does he need a new car? Like, you know, um, but as you, when, you, when, when you go verse by verse, you know, you're kind of, if you're going through a verse by verse, is that what kind of church you attend, then you notice you're kind of set free from the, you know, having to, having to pick and choose things, because you're just reading what's next in, in the Bible. And what I like about that is, is one of the biggest uh, reasons that we give is because God gave His only begotten Son, because of salvation. What greater gift do we have from the, from the, from the Lord then salvation, God, the Lord Jesus stepping out from the right hand of power. My dad was talking this morning as he was in Acts, and he was saying that, that you know, it says in Hebrews that the Lord is seated at the right hand of power now. You know, an idea that salvation is done, you know, that his, 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 Jesus' ministry is completed, and now we have salvation. But when Stephen was being martyred in Acts, it shows that he looked up into the heavens and that uh, Jesus is standing. You know, and I like the point my dad said, like I reposted it on Facebook. Jesus stood for Stephen because Stephen stood for Jesus. And I like that. And, and, and it's, it's because of that. That's why we're doing it. That's why we do this, because we believe in these things. We, we're doing this because it's, it's, we give because it's, it's what our, our style of life is or our lifestyle. You know, because Christians do that. It's not just to, just to, okay, well, I have to do it. It's not just being only subjected to the law. But it's, it's because, you know, when it, for me, the, my biggest thing in giving, when it comes down to it, is, is that's what we do. If you're, if you're a golfer, you golf. If you're a baseball player, you play baseball. I mean, whatever profession, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you've spent money on your profession. You know, whatever kind of, you know, Cato Atkins diet you do, you have to buy the food and, you know, all that stuff. And Whatever you're about. So if you're if you're a born again believer, you know you're you're gonna put your time and your effort and your money. And you know I think it's the same thing too with with us as we as we're uh, born again Christians in forgiveness, especially because of that. Because Christ forgives. If you think about the sins that you've committed in your life, and I, I've I've you know said this before, you think about the sins that Jesus forgave you of. If you really try to put your mind into that. Or try to hear what I'm saying, trying to put your minds into that. Those sins, you, there's those sins that you're thinking about, you're like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. That's, thank God I'm forgiven for that. And then there's those sins, and I don't want you to really try to bring them up in your head, but those sins that you think about, at least for me, 
that I think about, and I'm like, oh, I can't believe I did that. Like, seriously, no, like, you know, even, even Christ aside for saying, what was I thinking? That was terrible. You know, I really hurt this individual, or I really hurt my family, and you think about those sins with, you know, that just kind of make you cringe inside, that you want to die a little bit. And I don't think I'm sorry, I'm focusing on that, but Jesus took that on the cross and forgave you. You know, a holy God who, can't, who won't be around sin. A holy God who, who one sin is, is enough to send you to hell for eternity, but that sin was covered no matter how intense. You know, but Jesus is in the garden sweating great drops of blood. Yeah, I absolutely think it's because of the pain and the suffering, you know, Jesus the human was going to go through, but also think when he, he was about to experience the results of sin for the very first time ever in eternity, ever. And I don't think he enjoyed that thought. What did he say on the cross? I believe when he was on the cross, I think sin was placed upon him. I think that's when he cried out, really cried out and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because what does sin do? It separates us from, from God. And in that moment, I think, you, you know, obviously he's God, and I, I can't begin to dissect the mind of the Lord Jesus, you know, being God. And, but it's, I think at that moment, he really felt what we feel and, you know, when, we, when we're, even as born again believers, when we're, when we're con- constantly practicing sin, when we're, we're taken out of that fellowship, right? You feel that disconnect, but it's not God disconnecting from you. It's you disconnecting from God because you're choosing to pursue your sin. But I think Jesus felt that when sin was placed upon him. And I think he killed it. And I know he did. He crushed that and he created a path for us to be, uh, to come boldly into the throne room of, of God. So that greatness, that sin that you're just, you, you, that maybe is gone now because, you know, the grace of the Lord and, 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 you know, not being able to outsend the cross because Jesus covered those things and that great gift, that great forgiveness would we really be born-again believers if we didn't show that to other people? Because remember, as we're going through this, as we're making disciples, like who's going to want to come if they're not forgiven? You know how motivating that is to the sinner? How many people come, come not just here, but just to the church in general, broken and defeated and, and looking to be touched? And like, is there any way to be forgiven? Or how many people, even more personally, in your lives have really harmed you, and you know you you, you keep trying to say it? I forgive, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. Oh, it's, it's, you know, it's hard, and it's it's not easy. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, as you work in those things, that's what God does. He changes your heart. He 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 develops those relationships, and it's one of those things. Just just not just saying, but being willing to do it. But in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Jewish society, there was laws on how to deal with someone's debt, and specific debt. The son, in Exodus 22, verse 3, it says, If the sun has risen on him, there shall be guilt for his bloodshed. He should make full restoration. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. Talking about the, the, um, what Jesus is talking about here, the parable. Leviticus 25, 39 and 47. 39, and if, excuse me, and if one of your brethren who dwells by you becomes poor and sells himself to you, you shall not compel him to serve as a slave. 47, now if a a sojourner or stranger close to you becomes rich, and one of your brethren who dwells by him becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner close to you or to a member of a stranger's family. So things to a Jew who knew the law would have, what law would have thought about here. Jesus wants us to realize that we are all in debt because of our sin to God. And if you think about eternity, if you're an eternal-minded person, e- eternity with the Lord, you know, not obviously in heaven, but just being with the Lord in eternity or eternity in hell, suddenly your debt becomes very real. And, and that's the mindset. Lord, God wants you to know how great you have been forgiven. Sin has left a crimson stain, but he washed it right as snow on the cross. We all have misrepresented our king and have abused what he has administrated to us, um, what was his anyway. The point here is if we humble ourselves and cast ourselves at his feet, he is ready and he is willing to forgive us. If we can, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Great favor has been granted 
in forgiveness, in your forgiveness personally, and then forgiving other people. And that's how people see the Lord Jesus in your life. It says, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then the second greatest commandment is to love your, love your neighbor as yourself. And you see the connection with those two. And you can apply that to discipleship and to the way we treat, another, treat one another. And that's how, that's how the goodness of God will lead a sinner to repentance. Because maybe you'll forgive this individual and then you'll never see him again. And you never know what happened to him. But maybe you'll see them in heaven. Maybe that, that made a difference in their life, your forgiveness. I don't think they would forgive me. It says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. But also Psalms 32, 1. The Psalm of David. Contemplation. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven and, who is sin, and whose sin is covered. And that's us, born-again believers. Our sins are not, are not counted towards us. Our transgressions have been forgiven. Sin is, a, sin is an old archery term for missing the mark. If you didn't hit the bullseye, you're a sinner. You're, you're not very good at it. And we do that all the time. Right? We, we, you, you can, in, 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 a, in light of a holy, perfect God, you, could, you, you probably sin every day and you don't realize it. There's things you do, you know, that just make you unper- imperfect. I mean, I'm, I'm perfectly aware of my imperfections. <laughs> When it comes down to it, I live with myself. But there's also transgressions where you don't, yeah, I know I'm not, I'm not, good. I know I'm not supposed to steal, but I'm doing it anyway. When you, you know, deliberately do it. And you've been forgiven of those things. And sin, transgression, sin, sin, when you realize sin it, it, in a born-again believer, it, it needs to be put, it needs to not be easy. It needs to put you in, a, in an uneasy place. And, and, you know, that almost that feeling that you are separated from God because that's the Holy Spirit and that's conviction. And you bring those things up to the Lord, and, and, and he is faithful and just to forgive you. A righteous, fair judge who chooses to forgive you when you ask in a humble manner has granted you great favor. This is by what Christ did on the cross. So we show that favor to other people. I mean, not just you know, individuals who might have harmed, harmed you, but maybe in your marriage. Maybe, you know, obviously I could speak as a kid because I'm a son of, of uh, Pastor Mike. And there's times where I've, I've had to forgive my dad, even though I, was pro- I, I can tell you I was dead wrong 99% of the time. But what about the other way around? Do you ever, do you, you know, do, do, do you ever have to forgive your children? I'm guessing constantly. I just became a father, I just got married, and I just became a father of teenagers, so I, don't, I, didn't, like, I didn't raise them, I can't pretend to know. There's a, um, so as I'm discovering, so, okay, as I'm discovering, my wife's going to kill me. As I'm discovering raising children, we, uh, we go grocery shopping. We've been doing the Dave Ramsey program, if you know what that is. You, you budget everything. Yeah, all right. If you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so you, you bring your dorky envelope system to, the, uh, to the, uh, the grocery store, but you're super proud of it. You know, you're all on board to, to you know, just take out the cash and start, yeah, you know, and you re- and so at first I'm thinking, like, all right, you know, we, we, budget, we budgeted X amount of dollars for this. We're going to be able to do it. And then as we're, all these groceries are piling up, yeah, you know, all right, yeah, 200 what, blah, 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 dollars are, probably shouldn't say how much, are a lot of money. Or it's a lot of, you know, gets a lot of food. I'm excited. I'm thinking, great. And then we get home, and maybe I'm wrong about children. I don't know. But it seems like the kids are like, all right, let's see how fast we can eat everything in a day. What are you guys doing? <laughs> are you starving to death? And then I've, I've learned, and, you know, I mean, I never did this as a teenager. You know, I never. What are you, what are you laughing at? <laughs> they, 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 I, apparently, teen, I looked this up online, and I don't know how trustworthy this is, but apparently teenage boys fixate on one thing, and they'll just eat it. Well, my, my new son loves bread. And ate a whole bag of bread in one, like in a three-hour period. So, yeah, I have, so, yeah, so I know what it's like to forgive, you know, your children. Yeah, it's the same exact wrong. But in a serious note, maybe some intense things have happened. And if you ask my parents, they, they could tell you stories of, of terrible things that I've done against them for a very long time. And they still forgave me. In fact, 
me coming back to the Lord, I, I, like, I tell people, I've been a Christian. I mean, I was a, you know, I was a Catholic from birth till, I don't know, second grade. And then I was, I was, I was, a, I, was I would say I was a Christian from second grade till I was, um, I'm 38 now, until I was like 35. I would say I've, I've been born again for three, three and a half, four years. You can call yourself whatever you want. But you know what was a big turning point in me coming back to the Lord or being coming born again was the goodness of God. And you know how I saw that goodness was in the forgiveness of my family who just did not give up on me. Was the forgiveness of my family who, who despite these terrible things I've done, have loved me into, back into, their, into the family. And isn't that what God does for us? Who loves us no matter what? I mean, you look at the parable of, of the, uh, the, the prodigal son, whose dad is just like, thank God he's back. And a godly family is how people will see the Lord Jesus, guys. And that's why forgiveness is, is so important, because if, if I didn't have my family, I, I promise you I have, I, I promise you I would, I don't, I don't know what would happen. I promise you I don't know. Very bad things would have happened to me. I, I can't imagine what, where I would be. And maybe you don't have that. Maybe you don't, maybe you don't have that kind of like literal family, blood relatives. But you have that here. A church will, 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 we will take you back. I mean, unless you're like purposely going trying to hurt people here. And my dad won't let you back, you know. But, or whatever. But, but coming time and time again, having to get down and just rip yourself open, on, you know, at church to the Lord. And maybe for some people that's what it takes because some people they only get into the Word at church. But God's doing a change. And God will take you back every single time because He loved you. He's the God of, like, in, at least in my experience, he says he's a God of second chances. He's a God of like 200,000 chances. And that's the thing. He just wants a relationship with you, and then he wants to use you. He wants to, he wants to take you and, and, and do these wonderful things, because maybe you're a fool, but God likes taking the foolish things of the world because it gives him glory. And I think in that, it starts in family, but even in that, it starts with forgiveness. And that's why forgiveness is very important. It's very important because that builds bonds. It built the bond of your salvation and it will build a bond of fellowship with even your enemy. And your enemy will become a brother. That's, why God, that's one of the ways that God changes lives is forgiveness. So now we have this greatness. Now we have an opportunity to not only forgive others, but maybe use this forgiveness as a means to start discipleship into a person's life. Maybe you forgive someone you never in a million years thought you would, and now you're discipling. Remember what Jesus says when you go to your brother who wronged you? If he heeds the truth, you have gained him. It is of the utmost important that we show all that, all that we have from God to others. The kingdom of heaven is in you and through that in others. We see a suffering on the man who would not forgive others. He's an example of someone not born again, shows that he is thrown into prison for the worst. And that the suffering doesn't pay the sin back, nor does it amend the guilt. The point is that unforgiven sin has incurred a debt that can never be paid back except by the blood of Christ, and that we must forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. That is the kingdom of heaven behavior, and that is, and that is the foundation of discipleship. And so it's just such an important thing to forgive. And that's something that, that's expected of the Lord. And as we move, move on, we're getting into Matthew chapter 19. I'll read it, verses 19. I'm sorry, chapter 19, verses 1 through 2 says, Now it came to pass, when Jesus forgave the, uh, finished these sayings, that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of, of Judea beyond the Jordan, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees, still following him around, also came to him, testing him, saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. Then he said, uh, they said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and put her away? 
He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wife. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Then his disciples said to him, If such is the case of the man who, uh, of, of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. By the way, Simon Peter was married. But he said to them, All cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were, who, uh, who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were, made, who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He was able to accept it, accept it, let him accept it. So during this time, there was, there was two major, from what we could see in, 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 in studying the, the, to, the time and the culture, there was two major schools of thought. Divorce was kind of rampant for this reason, as far as we could tell. And it seemed to indicate why also understood that these great multitudes followed Jesus. And the Pharisees could get Jesus to speak against what is popular, then maybe the people wouldn't follow him. There was two trains of thought. There was Rabbi Shmuel who said, you can divorce if the family lied about the girl's virginity and only, di- and only then. And then there was, there was Rabbi Hillel who says, you can divorce if you find no favor for any reason at all. Bad eggs, she's out of here. There was even extreme situations to where, <laughs> back there. There was even extreme situations to where if, the, if you saw another girl who was even prettier than your current wife, you can discard her. That, uh, that, uh, that form was very popular among the men. And it, it's, it's sad. You can see why there was a, there was a need for, for the Lord. Because I think we were saying this last, or, or at some point in the last couple of weeks, marriage is a picture of, of your born-again relationship to the Lord Jesus, the church to the Lord. The bride of Christ being the church. God takes, God takes marriage very seriously. They wouldn't say for adultery here. They would say non-favorable reasons because that, would, uh, that was punishable by death. Also, adultery was to be judged. So they didn't, <laughs> they didn't have side chicks. They didn't have side girls or side husbands. Now, to the world, looking at the Jewish society, they could be like, what's with all this divorce stuff? The, it's, it, it, a lot of the evidence that we could see in the Roman Empire and the Greeks and a lot of the Gentile world, they didn't have a huge problem with divorce because they didn't have a huge problem with committing adultery. It was acceptable. It was okay to, okay, this is, this, this is my wife. Now this is my girlfriend and this is my Tuesday girlfriend or whatever. And they would be like, you know, you do that and <laughs> you can be married as long as you want. Do whatever you want. But that's sin. And God says, I will judge that. So, to, to, so you could see the problem that we have during this time with the Pharisees and the oral traditions and law that they were putting on and they were manipulating and they were flat out breaking what God originally said. You can divorce for any reason. You have, you have the more conservative aspect with Shemuel and it's, and it's only if she lied about this. Among the Jews of that day, marriage was a, was a sacred duty. If a man was unmarried after the age of 20, except to concentrate, uh, concentrate on the study of the law, he was guilty of breaking God's command to be fruitful and multiply. They said that he did not, that uh, by not having children, he killed his own descendants and had lessened the glory of God on earth. During this time, their low of women was very, very low. Their low of women, their view of women was very low. Uh, it meant that the high ideal of marriage was constantly compromised. And, the, and those compromises were made into law as with the thinking of Rabbi Hamil. Under the thinking of uh, Hillel, sorry, a man could divorce his wife if she spoiled his dinner, if she spun or went uh, with unbound hair or spoke to a man in the streets, if she spoke disrespectfully of his parents in the presence uh, or, or if, she was, if she was a brawling woman whose voice could be heard in the next house. Another rabbi even went to the length of saying that a man could divorce his wife if he found a woman he liked better and considered more beautiful. And you can see how sin in, in that is being challenged. And you know why I think a lot of that is? If, if, if marriage is a picture of, of the bride of Christ, the church, to, to the Lord, then Satan's going to attack it. 
And I think it's the same today. I think if the institution of marriage is attacked today, then, 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 it's ha- then Satan's having an effect. And if that's true, if, if what I'm saying right now is right, if, 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 if marriage, like the Bible's, if the Bible's true and marriage is a picture of the bride of Christ, the church to the Lord, then we need to be protecting our marriages. And how do we do that? Well, we go back to 18 verses 21 through 35. I think it can start hugely in forgiveness. I might have to be forgiven when I get home for talking about Ryder eating all the bread. That's, that's his name. Um, <laughs> Uh, and, it, and, it's, and it's sad. It says, I have in my notes here, it says, perhaps too that they hoped Jesus would say something that would entangle him in the Herod Herodias affair. You remember John the Baptist called out um, Herod for, for um, having an affair with his niece. And what happened, to Herod, what happened to John the Baptist? He lost his head over the matter. And so perhaps they were kind of hoping that. At least they were hoping because everyone would have followed Hillel's point of view, at least the men, and maybe if, if they can get the Lord Jesus to speak out against that, well, then maybe he'll lose popularity and then we won't care anymore. Or he'll just be some, you know, we can get him, you know, maybe, the, maybe Herod will take care of him and do something right for once. It says in Deuteronomy 24.1, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor, this is where, this is where they're having these huge two schools of thought over, no favor and what no favor means in his eyes because he was found with some uncleanness in her, and he and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house. That certificate was to protect her. That certificate was to, was to say it was for a legal reason so that she doesn't get put to death. And, and, and when it comes down to it, Jesus is explaining. So, in the, so their question, the Pharisees tried to get Jesus to side with one of the teachings or another. If he agreed with the, with the lax school of Rabbi Hillel, it was clear that Jesus did not take the law of Moses seriously. And if he agreed with the strict rule of Rabbi Shemil, then Jesus might become unpopular with the multitude who generally liked access to easy divorce. Uh, I was listening to uh, Pastor Jason Duff of the Garden, and he was saying that it was believed that some of these rabbis and Pharisees have been married up to 20 plus times. The religious leaders had, no, had reason to believe that they had caught Jesus on the horns of a dilemma. And what does Jesus do caught in this particular um, predicament? He takes it to scriptures. He says, have you not read? The Pharisees wanted to talk about divorce. But Jesus wanted to go back to the scriptures and talk about marriage. Jesus began with the first marriage, the one being Adam and Eve. The emphasis on the scriptures on a marriage rather than divorce is a wise approach for anyone interested in keeping a marriage together. And as, you, as, we, as we look at marriage, and, you know, like I said, we're human beings. We can really hurt one another. We can really say terrible things. And, and you know, some marriages may, you know, I'm sure my dad has counseled people, and I'm almost positive he has, and who, who maybe they even gone through with divorce. But I'm, I'm sure if you talk to my father in the counseling, God is able to, if, if, if our, since our God is able to raise the dead, I promise you he's able to raise your dead marriage. And maybe it starts with here. So what does Jesus do? He goes to the scriptures. If marriage is grounded in creation in the way God had made us, then it cannot be reduced to a merely con- just a conventional relationship that breaks down when the conventional promises are broken. If you look at Genesis as one of the foundations of, of everything, I mean, the, the, the plan of salvation is in Genesis. If that's the foundation and marriage is in that, God holds marriage very important. And like I, I've said before, maybe you're, maybe you're leading your family the best you can in this marriage. Maybe, you're, maybe you, 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 know, you, you give devotions when you can, and, and you try to get them to church. You, you sometimes, sometimes you're sitting around, and you're thinking, man, I, I'm not a pastor. I don't work for a church. I'm not a deacon, or you know, I'm not on the board. And you know, I could just get them to church, and that's it, because I'm busy working. I think God looks at you and says, that's my beloved son, and who am I? I'm well pleased. And I look at the joys of marriage. So, so far, I've been, you know, let me tell you guys about marriage. I've been married since December. But, I mean, it's awesome. And am I, am I going to be naive to think nothing's going to happen? I'd like to think nothing's going to happen. That'd be great. But those, th- those wonderful times are amazing. But, you know, it, it, it takes work. And, we, it, we, and we, she pours into me just as much as I pour into her. 
And I see that relationship with the Lord. You, you, you realize you bless the Lord. You know, it's not just a one-way street where God's just constantly blessing you. You ever think about it? You bless the Lord. Not that your works are great, your works are those filthy rags when it comes down to it comes down to it, we're sinners, but God delights over you. God sings over you, it says in Zephaniah 3.17. Look at my servant. Last time, last time we read that God said, hey, look at my servant, the Satan attacked him out, right? So maybe, you know, don't bring me up. But, but it's, a, it's a relationship, and that's, that's what this born-again experience is. It's a relationship. A relationship that constantly needs work, constantly needs time put into it, constantly needs you to go to work, constantly needs forgiveness. And those are the foundations of good relationships. That's when you find out what that person is made of. That's when you find out how that person's compatible with you. Ephesians 5, 22 through 23 says, um, let's turn there because I didn't put it on my notes. Ephesians chapter 5, 22 for 33. So I, put it in, I didn't put my notes because you can turn there if you want. You don't have to. It's, it, talks about, it talks about marriage. It talks about um, what the roles of a husband are. Ephesians chapter 5, 22 says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject, is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. By the way, guys, that's not an excuse to just completely dominate and ruin a woman. You see that they did that back then with, the, with Rabbi Hillel. How many broken women existed back then because of that? From, not, from what I know of divorce and why God, God holds it in such a sinful manner, is, is, it's like if you, ever, if you ever truly, okay, but I'm going to say this, don't ever do it, but if you ever really, really want to know what it's like to have your soul torn, get a divorce and you'll find out. Because there's that connection, there's that glue, it's It's divine. But when you're ripped apart from that, it tears your soul. And so how many torn souls were walking around needing the Lord? Again, to this morning, my dad was talking about the um, good and godly men of, uh, that they had to appoint over the, um, the widows. And I'm imagining there were some divorced ladies there. And that they had to be of good reputation because there probably was women their age that were vulnerable, that had their hearts broken. And that could have easily been caught up in something, you know. And so you could see there's, there, you know, we're, we're, we don't use these, dom- we're, not, we're not having dominion over a woman, like, you know, just crushing her into the ground. No, it's, 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 it, God loves her just as much as you look at Jesus' ministry. He had women around him. It was women that showed up at the tomb first, wasn't it? Husband, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the, uh, by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. But uh, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in practice in particular, so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. One of the greatest things I ever heard about that, and it was like, you ever read the Bible and, and you, get, you get it explained to you, and you're like, that's why. You know, that's it. One of the things was, is, is the reason why, you know, men are not commanded to, uh, to respect their wives, and, and wives are not commanded to uh, love their husbands, is because women don't have a problem loving. You know, a woman will, a woman will divorce you and still love you. You know, and, and, and men, we, we, we live and we breathe respect. We can, we, so, someone could lose our respect, and we get excited at the notion of them earning that respect back. Like, we're like, okay, okay, well, yeah, let's see, yeah, but you want it. You're kind of excited about that. We don't have a problem with respect. That's, that makes up a man. And know, obviously, there's, there, you know, every single person, but the reason maybe it's commanded is because that's where the problem is. 
And, and as you're representing men, as you are representing Christ to the church, and if Christ indeed sings over us, is del- it praises over us, is blessed by us, and he puts that, and if he has that much affection for his church, how much of a responsibility is it for us to represent Christ to our wives and to our families? And maybe something that God, that we're going to have a conversation with the Lord Jesus in, in the beam of seat of Christ one day. Notice after this, God wants us to protect us. If you, if you keep on reading into Ephesians chapter 6, there's the armor of God. He wants us to protect us. We have the armor of God. We become, if we become one flesh, if marriage becomes one flesh, then we need to be putting on the armor of God to protect our marriages. Genesis 1.27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female he created them. Jesus indicated first that God made men and women different and that God joins men and women together in marriage. Again, like I said, why would he, if we're obviously different, he, he has to command the man to love sacrificially. You, know, you gave birth to like 15 of my kids. I don't know, 15, maybe the turns. But you gave birth to 15 of my kids. I, you know, of course I respect you. But it, the, the problem is in love. So that's why we're commanded. In this, Jesus asserts God's authority over marriage. It is God's institution, not man's. So it is fair to say that, he, that his rules apply. By bringing the issue back to, uh, back to the scriptural foundation of marriage, Jesus makes it plain that the couples must forsake their singleness. A man shall leave his father and mother and come together in, one, uh, in a one-flesh relationship. That is both a fact. They are one flesh and a goal. Shall become one flesh. Because we are becoming one f- with the Lord Jesus. And you can see the picture of marriage and the picture of the born-again experience and how the parallels are drawn, how close it is, and how all this starts within the home. Disciples are made in the home. Men, you, we need to be pouring in spiritually. That sacrificial love, like Jesus did, does to the church and did while he was on earth, we need to be pouring into our families. Be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Back to creation in Adam and Adam's statement in Genesis 1.23, we see that a man and a woman, as husband and wife, are different, yet they are joined together as one, uh, completing, uh, completing one another as one flesh. Adam said, that, Adam said this at the creation of Eve, that it was as if Adam said, You are different than me, but you were made for me and for me. We are not the same but we are one. In Genesis, Adam tells us that a man and a woman are different, are different from creation. Different sources of creation. God took a bone out of, out of Adam. Different methods of creation. He made man out of the dust of the earth. He made woman from, the, from that bone, from the man. Different times of creation. Adam noticed there wasn't someone, you know. He's like, you know, I was thinking about hitting on the gorilla, but it just, just you know, it's kind of weird. I don't know why I said that. Different names of creation. Despite these fundamental, the fundamental creation-rooted differences between the natures of man and woman, God calls a husband and a wife to come together as one flesh. And, and, and I promise, and he, promise you, maybe, maybe you are here, none of you are the Lord Jesus. If you are, please stand up and take over, because it's way better than I can. But, but we're made in his image. And we are becoming one. And you could see in that as we become one with the Lord who forgave us of our sins, why forgiveness is so important. And maybe that's, maybe that's the night of something that's going on in your marriage you needed to hear. The forgiveness aspect. Maybe you needed to hear that you need to love your wife as Christ loves the church. Or maybe woman, you need to hear to respect your husband. Because, you know, the reason why she's still respect is was the saying, hell, hell knows no fury like a woman scorned. You know, she'll, she'll love you all day long, but, you, you know, forbid that you wrong this woman. Will you ever stop talking about that? It was so long ago, you know. You're laughing, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, but, but forgiveness in the, in, the, in the image of God. So when Peter's coming to the Lord, how often shall I forgive? Jesus is not, is not telling him a number so that when he reaches that, whatever that number turned out to be, I should have put that in my notes. 
whatever that number turned out to be, it's not, it goes, ah, that was 491. Now I don't have to forgive you. No, the point is you keep on forgiving. And I think that starts within the marriage. The two shall become one flesh also per- prohibits things like polygamy, having more than one wife or more than one husband, and shows that this was God's intention from the beginning. Though polygamy seemed to be allowed under the Old Testament, it was never God's best, and man should not have, uh, should have known so from looking at Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, which says, Therefore man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, singular, and they shall become one flesh. And you, if you look at the men who had more than one wife, it never, ever, ever was good for them, ever. It wasn't like, you know, I'd love that I have more than one wife. I can get so much good advice. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, we're laughing because it is ridiculous. You look, at, you look at what it did to David. How many wives did he have? And then what did his son do? His son, his son said, let's see how many wives I can just have. His, I believe, I was listening to um, David Rosales, and he was saying, as he was going through Ecclesiastes, he was saying that King, da- or King, Sol- King Solomon, his, David's son, had like two or three wives for every day of the year. And it, ne- and it turned, it flat out says that it turned Solomon's heart away. Because that's not what God intended. That's not, that's, that's not how we're to be. The Pharisees call out certificate. The Pharisees thought that Moses was creating or promoting divorce. In fact, he was controlling it. Divorce is never to be thought of as a God-ordained, morally uh, neutral option, but as an evidence of the hardness of the heart. And you look at this, and you can be panicked. Only for sexual immorality, it seems. Let's say divorce is a sin. When it comes down to it, if you're divorced, it is a sin. It's not what God intended, and you have missed the mark. Remember, being perfect. Are you perfect if you're divorced? No, divorce is a sin. But you know what I, what I don't see here in the Scriptures? The Bible, not my iPad. I don't see that it's the unforgivable sin. Divorce is a sin. It's not the unforgivable sin. So what do we do? We move in. You don't stop. You're like, you know what? I've got to go find my three, you know, three ex-wives ago and try to make that work. That one's probably like, get out of here, you, you creep. No, you move in what God has you now. As the First Corinthians chapter seven verse seventeen says, "As the Lord has called each one, so let him walk." And in that context, one uh, one of Paul's ideas with this statement was a warning about trying to undo the past in regards to relationships. God tells us to repent of whatever sin is there, and then move on. And if you are married to your second wife after wrongfully divorcing your first wife and become a Christian, don't think you must leave your second wife and go back to your first wife. Or if, if you do, don't do that here. I'm trying to undo the past, as the Lord has called you, walk in that place now. Disciple her. Lead her in the way that she go. Was it a sin, the whole thing? Yeah. How, I mean, if, how many sins have we all done in, our, in this room? I'm sure we can have a, out who, you know, a, a sin contest, and I probably would win. But I'm sure we, we could do that, and be, you know, you'd see how terrible we all are. But yeah, divorce, absolutely, 100%, undoubtedly, is a sin. Moses, Moses yeah, he got it to give, but it was because of the hardness of your heart, because they were doing it. It was needed. And it was to protect the woman from being, from being flat out killed or being treated, you know, like, like a nothing. But that's not what God ever intended. God doesn't like men more than he likes women. He just, you notice, he, you become one. And in the born-again experience, we become one with Christ. But we also become one with our, with our spouses and our wives. It moves on in the Scriptures, and, and you see the disciples. Now think about how, mind, how mind-bending this was. If the disciples were saying, well, then why get married? Like, Come on, guys. You're, the ch- you're chosen from God to be his disciples. And you're saying, well, then I'd rather not be married. That's too hard. It's just, what it speaks of is how much they have, they have had the influences of their teaching of the time poured into them where they're saying, why do it then? If they, if, they, if, they don't, if they don't have the option to be divorced whenever they want, why bother? Jesus was doing a change in them. But you could see that, that, those, uh, that ungodly influence of, of warped interpretation of the Scriptures had, had played upon them. We belong to Christ, and that needs to be reflected in our lives. Christ to us and us to each other. 
And maybe people will see that in your marriage. Maybe, we'll, maybe people will see as you're, you're the born-again believer and that you, you, you've, you still have that, that relationship with your wife. I think that's a power, powerful witnessing tool. And it's a blessing for, the, for those of you that are married. And if you are sitting here and, you, and, and you're divorced, yeah, you've sinned. So am I. So is my dad. Now he's not divorced. I'm just saying he's sinned before. You're forgiven. Again, going back to where we started. You are forgiven. It's by grace that you have been saved. What my dad say this morning, we don't, you know, gra- the use of grace is for, is, for falling, not, is for falling into it, not jumping into sin. I like that. Yeah, you, you, but you're saved. You're born again. Jesus died for that. Move on to what God has you. Pour into your wife. Love her. Sacrificially love her. Christ loves the church. And see what happens in your marriage. And maybe, you're, maybe your marriage is suffering and you, you, you don't see any hope. God can raise the dead. God can raise the, 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 uh, the death of your marriage into a, into a glorious live one. You, just need to, you need to put it in his hands, be in prayer, be in counseling. And see what God can do. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you once again. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your forgiveness in our lives and for dying on the cross and forgiving us of those sins. So, Lord, I just pray on behalf of the men in this room, Lord, fill them with their Holy Spirit. And let them represent you as you want to be represented, Lord. And, and Lord, and the woman, Lord, as you command, as a picture of the church to, to um, you, Lord. Lord, I just ask for a, a, a special protection of, on marriages for the people in this room, watching online, and for just for your church. Lord, help us to continually seek your face within marriage. Lord, give us a forgiving heart for one another, God, whether it's our wives or anybody. And we love you, Lord, and we praise you, and we worship you alone. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Can you all stand?